0: Welcome to the Vanessa Landino podcast. I'm your host, Vanessa Landino. This week and last week, we've been focused on two subjects, integrity and authenticity. Integrity is inexplicably and dangerously left out of conversations on mental health. And this is definitely to our detriment because it's such an important quality for constructing and maintaining lives we can actually live with, with feelings of pride and self-respect. And discussions about authenticity or being authentic are so common that honestly, it's become a cliche, but real authenticity, and I know that phrase is redundant, okay, I'll admit it, but real authenticity is ironically in short supply. I think we've become so consumed with the idea that we're now seeing it as a popular thing to talk about. And I think in a lot of cases, we're now performing authenticity instead of actually becoming authentic. So hopefully this week, we can talk about this a little bit in a way that's going to help us toward that end. All right. So last week, we focused on integrity. That podcast is available in the episode stack. You can go back and listen to that for thoughts on living with integrity and why it's absolutely essential to your mental health. This week, let's turn our attention to authenticity. Okay. Authenticity is defined as the quality of being real, genuine, not copied or faked. For example, when we talk about authentic historical documents or pieces from antiquity, you might find in a museum, we mean they are the real deal. These are the actual objects, not copies, not recreations, not replicas. These are the actual genuine pieces, and they were formed or written by the hands of whoever created them. Okay? This is what it means to be authentic. It's the real deal, not a fake, not a replica the real thing. So with that definition in mind, the idea that to be authentic means to be the original, unaltered version of a thing. Okay, with that idea, what does that mean for us as human beings? And how does that affect mental health? All right, let's dive in. Sometimes I think it's better to understand a thing by first exploring what it isn't. Okay, so let's create some contrast. The opposite of authenticity is what? Inauthenticity. This is the quality of being fake, not true to who we really are. We might say phony, counterfeit. To use a word from our definition above, okay, it's the state of being disingenuous. In other words, not genuine. Now, the origin of the word genuine is very interesting. It comes from the Latin root genu, which means knee, as in your knee, the joint in the middle of your leg. In ancient Rome, it was customary for a father to place a child on his knee in order to declare him publicly to be his authentic son. This was, of course, pertinent at the time because of bloodlines and transference of wealth and assets along those bloodlines. So the root of the word genuine meant to declare ownership and responsibility. It meant, I claim this person. This is my true relation. Okay? Now, another word for this would be natural. This was usually a natural-born child, the authentic heir. So let's take a look at that word, natural. The origin of this word is also interesting. Since being an authentic person can mean being your natural self, let's zero in on that word for a moment. The word natural comes from the Latin for naturalis, which means from birth or by birth. And so maybe you're thinking, Vanessa, thank you for the lesson in etymology, which is the study of the origin of words. But what does this have to do with mental health? Friends, this has everything to do with mental health. Here's why. Because in order to be authentically ourselves, we need to know who we are and claim who we are and own who we are so we can live who we are. It's as if we take that infant version of ourselves Pure, untainted, unharmed, uncomplicated, the original, the natural, the unchanged version of us. And we place that precious, pure baby on our knee and say, This one is mine. This is me. This is where these words come from. So believe it or not, becoming who we truly are involves a good amount of work. And this work, is the work of life. I'm going to say that again, friends, because it's really important. Becoming your authentic self is the work of your life. Here's the bad news. The odds are stacked against us. Some of us were raised in families where our authentic self was really nurtured. Our parents allowed disagreement. They allowed it to be respectful and thoughtful, but they did allow disagreement in the home. They allowed us to find our voice by listening to us and supporting our attempts to forge an identity, which takes work. You know, an identity, I'm going to say something about that. An identity is something we're born with, but it's also something we have to really fight for. And I'm going to describe why in just a moment. It takes a fight. And when parents are on the side of the child, when they're helping their child learn and identify their true self, the path is the easiest. The fewer roadblocks, the better, right? Parents will actually redirect a child back to their true self, even if that is inconvenient or even if it's disappointing for the parent. A parent can hold that within themselves and say, you know what? This isn't you. This isn't you. I know you. Some of us were raised in families where we had to conform and we had to conform for acceptance or approval. So in these family systems, unique or differing perspectives are silenced, and they're silenced with shame or parents pull rank. So we didn't learn who we are because we weren't allowed to engage in the process of self-discovery. The process was not important, only the outcome. So what were we taught? We were taught what to think and to agree with people who thought this way, starting with our parents. Disagreement in these family systems is perceived to be a sign of disrespect or a threat to the unity of the family. So in these families, conformity is prioritized over true unity, which is assuming of diversity. So I'm going to say that again, really think about it. In order to have unity, you must have diversity first. That's what makes unity a thing. Right? Conformity is not unity. In these family systems where conformity is expected, the family is not actually unified because many times children are conforming out of fear or a lack of options. They're not choosing. They're just accepting. This is very common in families where ideologies are dogmatic, either through religion or rigidly held political beliefs. To disagree in these systems is to be viewed as morally wrong, and this will stifle the authentic self faster than anything else. Some of us, the authentic self was buried Buried, silenced through trauma, abandonment, neglect, abuse. So that true heart that's inside of us, which is free, innocent, pure, that heart goes into hiding out of sheer self-protection, survival. So to become our authentic self in those systems is not an option. It's too unsafe. It's too dangerous. We have to be what we are expected to be or we risk Harm. For those of us coming out of any of these systems, in order to become our authentic self, we need to grasp where and how and when our natural, original self was lost. And then we reach adulthood. And for a million reasons, and they are sociological and psychological, we live in a world where the pressure to conform is crushing And unrelenting. Buy this. Make this. Watch this. Love this. Hate this. Wear this. Say this. Don't say this. Read this. Talk about this. Move here. Have these social contacts. Say yes to that. Don't say no. Say no to that. Don't say yes. Do this job. Work here, work harder, produce more, drive this, travel here, stay here, eat here, make this much, teach your children this, school them here, get married, don't get married, have kids, don't have kids, believe this, agree with this, vote for this person, do not vote for this person, accept this ideology, reject this one, eat this, don't eat that, and on and on. For better or for worse, we are living in a time of incessant and never-ending choices. I recall a woman I spoke to years ago. I don't remember how I met her or why, but she moved here to the United States from communist Russia. And she described markets, food markets in Russia, and how there was only one kind of orange juice. If there was any kind of orange juice on the shelf at all, there was only one kind. And she said that here in the U.S., I remember this, she said, you have too much. You have too many choices. And I remember thinking, Minute Maid, Simply Orange Florida's Natural, Tropicana, Odwalla, Nantucket Nectars. My goodness, this woman is right. We have so many options for orange juice. Think about how much time has been spent choosing orange juice, deodorant, butter, shampoo. It's a lot of time, right? So life is not only a process of maturing. And how do we mature? Through learning, self-accountability, Living with the consequences of our actions, positive and negative. Life is not just that, it's a process of discerning what is for us and what isn't. Life is about choosing, constantly choosing, and then living with our decisions. 100 years ago or more, few, if any, of these options even existed. People generally lived where they were born. Marriages were arranged. If they weren't arranged, a very specific expectation was placed on the kind of partner one could choose, right? People generally worked in the same line of work as their parents, and they had very few options, if any, beyond that. So the path of life was extremely narrow. Opportunities were present to change your life, but they weren't nearly as accessible as they are today. And as our history as a human race unfolds on this earth, particularly in the West, the options continue to multiply. And this multitude of choices forces us to ask ourselves regularly, maybe consciously, maybe unconsciously, what resonates with me? What doesn't? What feels true to who I am? What doesn't? Where do I want to live? What do I want to do for work? How many hours from home, from an office, outside, inside, in a city, in a small town? And on and on. And then we have relationships that apply even more pressure. Who do the people in my life need or want me to be? Are they interested in my authentic self or in a version of me that suits or meets their needs? Who is pushing me in a certain direction? Why? What do they get out of it? Who allows me to simply be myself? What does that even mean? Who wants my best? Who accepts me as I am? Friends, having many options is actually a luxury. And like all luxuries, we sometimes enjoy them and sometimes they cause a lot of anxiety, don't they? So here we are in a world where who we are and how we live and how we define ourselves are constantly being held up to the highest bidder, the most attractive offer. Do this, you'll be happy. Change this, you'll be happy. Buy this, you'll be happy. How do we become our authentic self? How do we discover who that is? It is so hard to discern our own voice from the voices around us. I'm going to say that again because it's really important. It can be very hard to discern our own inner voice from the voices around us. There's a competition going on for influence. Think about this. The makers of the products we consume want our ear. Authority figures want our ear. So who do we allow to influence us? How we think? How we live? So let's talk about influence because influence shapes us and that can mean greater authenticity or less. We can allow influence based on social conditioning. What does that mean? Well, it means we were taught through repetition and a reward punishment system. And this is how human beings are conditioned to do anything, to accept certain messages and hold certain values and reject other messages that come from other kinds of people. This is conditioning. The reward we got that conditioned us is generally approval. And through approval, we feel connection. Now, the punishment is disapproval through which we will feel disconnection, or perhaps even the feeling of being ostracized. So we may make decisions from these influences because we desire acceptance, not because this is our true self, congruent with our values. Remember last week when we talked about the importance of integrity and the need for internal congruence. This means we think, feel, and act in a way that's aligned, right? Last week's episode is kind of a companion to this one. So we allow certain influences because we've been conditioned to do it. Listen to so-and-so, trust so-and-so, follow so-and-so, and we will win approval. We can also allow influence based on fear. So if someone or something, a person, an entity, it could be an institution, can sufficiently or successfully move us into a fear state, we will listen to what they say because the push into fear is usually accompanied by the presentation of the solution. Notice this. Notice how every voice in your life, whether it's a commercial, an advertisement, or a particular group's messaging, an authority figure, notice how if they attempt to move you into a fear state, they will also offer themselves as the solution. The way you can feel safe, and it's generally through subscribing to their philosophy or buying whatever they're selling. Interestingly enough, this is how Stockholm Syndrome begins, by the way, with fear. Stockholm Syndrome is a process by which we come to identify with and protect an entity that is actually causing us harm. They terrify us, frighten us, worry us, and then present themselves as the savior. Sounds impossible, doesn't it? And it's absolutely possible. Why? Because when we are afraid in a fear state... We will make decisions that are totally out of line with what we really want and who we really are. And fear will lead us down that path. I'll say a little bit more about fear in a minute. But we mostly allow influence because we want or need to belong. We'll go against our hearts. We'll outwardly agree with what we internally disagree with. Just to belong. This is classic peer pressure. We want acceptance into a group that badly. The problem here is that we're abandoning ourselves. And if we are abandoning and rejecting our inner voice for outward acceptance, we have not accepted ourselves. So we want others to claim us, to put us on their knee, so to speak, and say with pride, this one is part of my tribe. But we haven't figured out who we are yet. This is really common and it's dangerous because the further we get away from our authentic self which is another way of saying self-abandonment, the more anxious and depressed we may become. And if we were abandoned as children, our potential for self-abandonment is extremely high. Now, I'm not talking about abandonment as in you were left alone with nothing to eat, alone in a home. No. Every time a parent emotionally rejects a child simply because they don't like who the child is, when they withdraw with coldness, the silent treatment, punishment by exclusion, those are all Forms of abandonment and children who are abandoned in that way learn to abandon themselves. Back to influence. It's hard to discern which influences to allow. Okay, it's hard to push back on the ones that may be detrimental to the development and promotion of our true authentic self. It could mean unfollowing or unfriending unhealthy people on social media, it could mean standing up to parents, friends, or leaders, authority figures of any kind. Maybe it means finally speaking what we truly believe. Maybe we know we're just swallowing it. Maybe we need to identify that fear inside of us that says, man, if I say this out loud, then what? So this goes back to emotional health, which was the third episode. Emotionally healthy people can name and feel their emotions. So we need to notice when we feel afraid and learn to confront the fear Because to live in that fear is dangerous. And I'll say a little bit more about that in just a moment. This is an essential step in claiming and owning our true selves. Our authentic selves is confronting the fear that we feel should we do it. Now, at the very root of authenticity is the ability to hear our own voice and the courage to live it and listen to it. The state of being disconnected from the self as a result of listening to and conforming to outside voices instead of our own true inner voice is at the root of many cases of depression and anxiety. A lot of the work of therapy is finding the true self again. And again, I'll repeat this. The further we get from that true self, the more mental distress and pain we experience. So yes, authenticity is vitally integrally connected to mental health. The more authentic and self-accepting we are in our true authenticity, the healthier we will be and feel. And the more satisfying our relationships will be. So let's go back and look at the roots of these words we looked at before, genuine and natural. Genu, which is the root word for genuine, meaning knee, And naturalis, the root word of natural, meaning of or by birth. These root words are how we developed the idea and concept of being authentic, right? So the idea is that who we are is natural, organic, born into, and genuine. It's something we own. It's something we claim, like a parent claiming their rightful child. Being authentic means we don't pretend or try to be anything we're not. We learn and fight to have a strong sense of who we are and who we've always been deep inside. And we're living in the conscious reality of that knowledge. We're aware. We're conscious of it. What does that mean? It means we're aware of how we feel. Maybe we can be completely ourselves with someone and we notice that we are much more self-aware, self-editing, and fearful with someone else. We notice that we suppress our voice because we fear anger or abandonment from some people. And we notice that others accept who we are without a fight. Now, understand this. Being authentic is not a goal as in it's a point that we reach. It's a destination. Becoming authentic is a process. It means we strip away and discard layers that aren't us, the real us, in an ongoing way. And this can be difficult. When we construct a personality based on influences that aren't or weren't promoting our true self, we have layers and layers of behaviors and social connections and commitments that are not us. They're not reflective of us And we could easily find that we've constructed an entire life on a false foundation. And it can be difficult. It can be embarrassing or confusing or awkward to renege on stands we've taken or promises we've made. It's hard to say these words. I changed my mind. It's hard to say these words. This is who I really am. But we have to. Life is a really long, beautiful process of becoming by unbecoming. What do I mean? I mean this. We spend our childhood absorbing whatever was handed to us. Very few children push back against the influences in their lives, if any at all. Children are human sponges, and we were too. We may have been given really good information on how to discover who we truly are and how to protect and live from a place of authenticity, or we may have been given... Faulty information that encouraged us to disguise, hide, conform, or discard the true self. We may have experienced more roadblocks in becoming our true self than bridges. Once we reach adulthood, life gets more complicated, doesn't it? Increasing age brings increasing responsibility, so the old ways we survived childhood work less and less if they weren't healthy or weren't the real us. We can only pull off the false self for so long. And then anxiety and, believe it or not, depression come along like unwelcome guests to let us know something's not right. If we fear the challenge or avoid doing the hard work of discovering and protecting the authentic self, this is when deep mental distress can set in. This is when addictions can really take hold, because the pain of being disconnected from ourself will only get bigger unless we numb it or become real. If our lives do not reflect us, we may feel stuck, trapped, unable to be at peace, and tense. These things contribute to mental and emotional distress. Now, there is a way. There is a way to return to the self. We need to unbecome what we became if it wasn't true. We need to start doing some real soul work, whether that's in therapy, in solitude, in relationship. We need to stop seeking acceptance. This is hard. We stop seeking acceptance and start pursuing self-knowledge. We need to ask, who am I? Can I live with what I'm doing is this me? When we learn to accept who we truly are, we'll expect others to as well. Now, this is a very tough question. Who am I? And in my experience... Both personally and professionally in clinical practice, the answer does not come easily. (laughs) It doesn't come simply, and it doesn't come all at once. But this is why I call authenticity a process. It's not an arrival. It's a process. We learn as we live. We become ourselves as we live our lives. Let's talk a little bit about inauthenticity. Inauthenticity can be described as being fake or phony. Disingenuous was a word we used earlier. I think a more accurate and a more compassionate definition of inauthenticity is this. Inauthenticity is the result of assigning more weight and importance to others' voices than your own. Let's say that again. Inauthenticity is a personality style that results from assigning more weight and importance to others' voices than you do your own. Some of us are inauthentic because we haven't taken the time to know ourselves, We don't spend time alone. We don't journal. We don't talk to a therapist who would hopefully reflect us back to ourselves. We don't travel alone. We don't even spend a day alone. I don't know many people who can't leave their life for one day, maybe an overnight, maybe a weekend. Some of us won't even be alone for an hour. We don't stop to ask ourselves, what am I feeling right now and why? What do I feel in my own skin right now? I'm going to spend some time alone Just being present with myself. Maybe we don't ask ourselves tough questions. We make decisions. Some better than others. Some decisions are better than others. Some of us are better decision makers than others. But we don't examine our motives. We don't know what we feel. We're on autopilot. And now, here's the hope. This kind of authenticity is probably the easiest to address. Starting now, spend time with yourself. I love this quote by Blaise Pascal. He once said this. All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. (laughs) Let's expand that to all of humankind, okay? We need to be able to sit with who we are and simply listen. We may notice that we love what we love about ourselves. We may notice that other parts of us are harder to sit with. We can learn to tolerate those parts. We can even learn to love those parts through understanding and compassion. But the first step is to become aware. And we only become aware if we sit still and breathe. Now, it's normal when you're doing this kind of work, it's really normal to realize you've been living as two people. Maybe even more. Okay, there's the inside me and the outside me. There's the me I hide and the me I show the world. Friends, many of us fragmented into two selves to survive childhood. There's the me that got approval from parents, teachers, whoever it was, and the real me, the inner me, who's scared, maybe who loves to draw, who wanted to be a doctor, who didn't want to be a doctor. Whatever it is. When we split like that in childhood, approval is usually the goal. And sometimes I'll do this exercise with my clients in therapy. We'll draw on a piece of paper what looks like a wheel, a wagon wheel. And at the center, the hub of the wheel, we'll write the true self. And then the spokes of the wheel are all of the versions of us we show up in. So we might write, this is the smart me or the academic me. And that's the part of us that wants to appear intelligent and win the respect of others. Or sometimes we write the little me or the baby me. This is the part of us that plays small, quiet, unthreatening so that we don't intimidate others with our brilliance. There may be the professional me. That's the part that shows up when we need to push our emotions to the back burner. We need to perform and impress. Maybe there's the tough me. This is the part that shows up when we feel threatened or ashamed. Some of my clients have been brave enough to identify the therapy me. The part that shows up for therapy and just wants to be the perfect client. Okay, this is so normal. These are the parts of us. We perform. Okay. now, maybe all of these parts are reflections of who we really are. But the danger of living in this fragmented way is twofold. One, we may be unaware. And in this way of living, we're highlighting and editing parts of our personalities for approval and acceptance. And we don't even know we're doing it. We are literally unconsciously living in the fear of rejection. We're just constantly morphing into whoever we think we should be. We're on autopilot. And we need to become aware. And the second is what I just mentioned. We are performing. And this is the real danger. Why? Because when we are inauthentic and we are not our true selves, any time we spend with others will not satisfy us as it would if we were authentic. Well, why not, Vanessa? Because deep down, we really believe that to be ourselves would mean rejection. This means we're not really connecting. When we show up in an inauthentic version of ourselves, we are not forming real connection. We don't orient toward other people the way we would if we were in our authentic self. We don't attach. We don't feel the bond of connection. And we may actually feel very lonely in our lives. When we really connect with others, our bodies secrete chemicals Literally, we secrete neurotransmitters, chemicals that make us feel warm, safe, and joyful. And we can't fake this. You can't convince your brain to do something when you're in your false self. If we're feeling connected, this happens naturally. We feel great. We feel loved. We feel seen. We feel unified. We feel we have community. If we are in our false selves, we are not really connecting. And this is the most dangerous part. Because we're reinforcing the belief that we really aren't lovable. Every time we show up and we're fake, we're reinforcing the belief that if I show up and I'm real, no one will love me. And if we don't admit to ourselves, I'm not really being real. No one knows me. We may wind up really depressed. Why? Because deep down, we don't believe we're lovable. The only way to find out is to be real. To be inauthentic is to play a role. And that means we will never know or feel unconditional love because we won't let anyone really know us. If we are inauthentic, we will have the thought, no one really knows who I am. No one gets me, no one understands me. This is a road map for suicide. This is a lonely, sad place to be for a minute. And it's a dangerous place to be for a long time. Authenticity is a foundational piece to relationships. It is not negotiable. It is not optional. It is essential. And this absolutely affects our mental and emotional health and satisfaction in life. When we are authentic and accepted in our authenticity, we begin to feel safe our body relaxes. Our adrenaline and cortisol levels drop in a state of safety, which is the absence of fear. So I mentioned earlier, I'm going to say a little bit about fear. Here we go. When we are in a fear state, which generally lies at the root of inauthenticity, right? We are performing. We're afraid of rejection. We're inauthentic. We're not our true selves. We are living with chronically elevated levels of cortisol. And this is the hormone our body secretes in chronic stress, long-term stress. This has a negative effect on our immune system. It has a negative effect on our cognitive function. It can lead to chronic pain. It's been connected to headaches and migraines. All of this from living in a fear state. When we are authentically ourselves and others experience us as we truly are, when we face the fear of rejection and we find acceptance on the other side, we literally experience a biochemical shift. What does that do? It creates feelings of warmth, connection, wholeness, gratitude. So do we think authenticity is connected to mental and emotional health? Yes, it is. It all comes down to learning who we are. Claiming who we are, owning who we are, and living who we are. This is our work. This is the path and process of authenticity. And I am right here on it with you. Here are some practicals for nurturing authenticity start with a journal. Ask yourself three questions every day How do I feel emotionally? Okay, those are what feelings am I having? If you need a list of emotions, Google that. It's all over the internet, lists of emotions. Just skim down that list. Don't think about it too much. Skim down that list and just write down what you feel that resonates with you. How do I feel spiritually? Okay. This is how connected do I feel to myself, to others, to the world at large, to the universe? If you have a relationship with God, if you have a faith in God, do I feel safe with God, loved by God? How connected am I to my spirit and to the spirit of God? And how do I feel physically? Why is that important? Because you have to get into your body. Your body is the container of all of this, right? Do I feel tired? Do I feel energized? Do I feel pain? Do I feel tension? So this is called the ESP check-in. How do I feel emotionally, spiritually, and physically? Check-in every day. Learn yourself. And here's the piece of journaling that most people forget to do or don't know to do. Go back and read your journal entries. Maybe you do it on the last day of the week. Maybe you do it on the first day of the week. Notice the patterns. Notice what you notice. Okay, so we start with a journal. Two, start to correct misperceptions. If you have created a false self, and we all have, this is normal, this is human, and you become aware of something you have presented to the world, to your friends, to your community, to your spouse, if you become aware of something... That is not true. Begin by talking to someone with whom you feel very safe and start to come clean. This could be a friend. It could be a spiritual guide. It could absolutely be a therapist. But start hearing your own voice say, this is who I really am. You got to hear yourself say it out loud. Third, breathe. When you are around others, breathe. When you are alone, breathe. Become connected to your breath. We are so used to operating on autopilot unconsciously. Okay? When we breathe and we are present in our body and we make a habit out of listening and speaking from a place of conscious breathing, it will actually draw us into a more authentic place in ourselves. My friends, I hope you have a wonderful week. And I hope you give some thought to your relationship with yourself this week. Is it authentic? Do I allow myself to be who I am to myself? Because if it is, you're going to be able to build relationships with others, satisfying relationships, that are also authentic but it begins with your relationship with yourself now if you find that you've been living two lives maybe more there's an inner me an outer me it's time to look inward and do the work because a life built on inauthenticity will never feel like it's yours a life built with authenticity is a life you can live with joy have a great week your soul work is to discover who you truly are and learn to love that human being. This week, I hope we know a little bit more about what that means authentically. Thank you so much for tuning in. For those of you who are tuning in each week, I want to thank you. I can't thank you enough. Your reviews on Apple Podcasts are awesome, so thank you for those as well. Please keep sharing this podcast with the people in your life who might benefit. And if this is your first time listening, thanks for tuning in. This podcast is recorded in Nashville, Tennessee, edited by Jared Bentley. I'm Vanessa Londino, and you just listened to the Vanessa Londino podcast.